Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is BJ Mendelson. BJ is a keynote speaker, an author, and a comic book writer. His books include Social Media is Bullshit from St. Martin's Press and Privacy and How We Can Get It Back from Curious Reads. BJ, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming by. So do you want to tell us where you are in the world right now? Sure. I am in uh, <laughs> the suburbs of New York City in a place called Monroe. Uh, I have two mentally disabled brothers and a mom who is not uh, physically well. So I'm here at the family's house, you know, helping to pitch in and take care of things. And that's, uh, that's home base. All right. And did you formerly live in New York City or do you commute here? I've lived everywhere. Uh, okay. So I lived in New York for a little bit. I lived in Chicago for a little bit. I lived all over upstate New York, uh, like Buffalo, Potsdam, Glens Falls. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been all over the place at this point. I actually just spent the past four years of my life, five years actually, uh, living at hotels and traveling across the wow. United States mostly and then doing some global. From looking at your website and, and your works, you've obviously done a lot. Is there a way that you could summarize to us who you are, what you do, what you've done? And I think that the, the line I've been using lately is that I'm the only person on the planet who could say that they've spoke at the United Nations and also worked as a mall Santa. Wow, I didn't know about that one. It's yeah, crazy. So that kind of uh, that kind of gives you the, the, the depth and uh, how you know, a gauge of how serious I take myself. Nice. It's it's all about having fun too. Um, but obviously, right. you know, we talk about writing on the show. Writing is a big part, and creativity is a big part of what you're all about and, and what you talk about, right? That's, that's right. I mean, that's, that's sort of the core of everything. Uh, I'm a big believer in giving back. So if you take something, uh, for example, like right now, I'm a, uh, you know, my goal is to write for Marvel to do a run on She-Hulk. And so I've started that very slow process of getting into the comic book industry. And I believe if you're going to take part in the industry, you should also give something back. And so that's true for any writing endeavor. If, like if you want to write short stories, you get involved with the short story ecosystem and give something back. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's something that I try to do with my website and with my presentations where uh, I try to help future writers and authors and artists and professional wrestlers because uh, I have oh, an wow. audience of them, uh, you know, and help guide them and steer them in terms of creativity. I'm just going to throw this out there. Have you ever heard the term multi-potentialite? I have not. Okay. I might have mentioned this on another episode, but there's a TED Talk about it. And it basically means that you know, the traditional idea of focusing on one calling and just being really good at one thing is a little bit outdated. And these days, just based on, you know, creativity and all the resources we have, a lot of multi-potentialites are kind of thriving and doing multiple types of things at once. It sounds like you could fit that bill. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that if you're a creative set, you, you sort of have to do that. I, I, got into, uh, I think it was Chuck Wendig who writes the Star Wars books where he he does a Q&A on Twitter, and he was basically telling writers the opposite of that, where he was like, you know, don't, don't focus on your brand, focus on just being a writer, and then everything else takes care of itself. And I was kind of like, no, uh, you know, you kind of have to be all these different things because right. that grows your audience. And the example I used was Kevin Smith, where, you know, he's not just a filmmaker, he's also a podcaster, and he's not just a podcaster, you know, he's also now a television director, and all the, you know, on and on and on, and you kind of have to have your hands in everything uh these days because you you need to constantly replenish your audience you can't do that if you're just focused on one thing 
Right. And I think the, the expression used to be like, jack of all trades, master of none. And, yeah. and I've, I've heard this theory that it's like, you need to climb this one mountain, right? You can't climb multiple mountains at once. You got to focus on one. But I do think to your point, I don't think that's as relevant anymore, especially as a creative person with all these resources and tools uh, at our disposal. Why limit yourself to just one creative outlet, right? Yeah, I mean, I look at more. I definitely look at them more from a marketing perspective. Of uh, if I'm in a bookstore and I'm holding a book that, and both of them are good, am I going to go with person that I might have heard on the radio or does a radio show, or someone who's just a writer? Odds are good, I'm going to go with a person who also produces a radio show or also appears on TV as an actor, uh, because I have more points of commonality or more frames of reference that I can look to. So I think it's more. I mean, it's certainly true on the creative end that there's no reason to limit yourself because you have all these tools. But on the marketing end for creators, it it makes more sense to, uh, yeah, for sure, be sharp at one thing, but also have your hand in other things to keep pulling in those people and audiences. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to just, um, and I know historically it would be like if you were a filmmaker and you filmed, edited all the roles, and then you submit that to a film festival, it was almost frowned upon. But nowadays, I feel like it's a little bit more, uh, it's a little more accepted. Obviously, with a bigger budget production or anything like that, you know, you're going to want to get people involved. But I don't think it's as frowned upon. Yeah, and I think what drove a lot of that is, and it's still true today, but you know, Hollywood is definitely a closed system. Right. Uh, there's really only like 500 people with the power to make any real decisions. And so if you kind of come in there and you're like, hey, I can do all these different things, uh, that threatens the potential for their friends to get jobs. Uh, whereas point. today, now that you've got YouTube, you could just be like, hey, I just made a movie and added it, so I did all the work. So now they're kind of forced into accepting people who have all these different talents. But back then, it was definitely more of like a patronage thing where uh, if you wanted to get your movie made, you had to have you know, someone's cousin as a, as a gaffer uh, just, as well as <laughs> just for it to get done. Fair. Um, I guess we could dive into what you're currently working on. You know, we had briefly talked about uh, the fact that you recently presented at the Florida Supercon. Did you want to tell us what you presented on? And I know you're working on presenting that at other cons as well. Yeah, so this is kind of a new thing for me where uh, when I when I was traveling and promoting social media's bullshit, I would constantly get the the question of, okay, smartass, uh, what am I supposed to do instead? And that's, that can be really challenging to answer because the one thing you learn about marketing is that there's, there's a million different variables. And so... Uh, what works for one person is not going to work for the person sitting next to them because there's just a different set of variables. So what I decided to do was if I wanted to make a career writing She-Hulk for Marvel, I was going to kind of focus my answer down to, okay, smartass, what do I do if I create comics? Uh, and I sort of just filled in the blank and said, okay, so that's I think that's what I'm going to do uh, at these different conventions. I'm going to kind of present the second half of that social media's bullshit presentation, but instead focus on uh, specifically on comic creators. And really, like, I've gotten this a lot since, like, what I did was I posted the full presentation on bjmendelson.com. Uh, most people that have read it who are not in comics have told me they've just inserted their own words. Like, someone yesterday said that they just replaced, like, comics artist or comics writer with podcaster. Right. Uh, it, you know, the stuff holds true because it's mostly universal, but uh, that's what I'm trying to do right now because I found with a lot of comic conventions, when they do the marketing panels, it's it's advice from other comic writers, uh, which can be good on one hand because they can give you a good case study, but bad on the other because they're not really professionals in the marketing industry. They don't really know. They just sort of know what works for that specific book. And like I said, 
uh, marketing is entirely situational. So what worked for one book is not going to work for another. And so uh, it's kind of my way of giving back to the community and saying, okay, well, if I'm going to take something uh, and that's, you know, writing She-Hulk and I should give something back, which is giving people advice on how to market their comics. Did you want to kind of walk us through that, that presentation? And, yeah. So okay. video is coming. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, did have it, we did have it shot at Florida Supercon where uh, I'll have it soon. But yeah, I talk about the She-Hulk thing specifically because I, I think that before you do anything, you have to kind of plan your decades. And that's not something that we uh, specifically as Americans, but more, you know, it's also true in the Western world uh, where we're all about instant gratification and, and jumping from one thing to the next. You know, it's one of those dangers of being a multi-hyphenate it is that you know you can you have so many options so you don't stick with one thing right uh you're you sort of start something stop and then start you know start something else in the process you never really complete one thing so uh the first thing that i kind of hone in on in this presentation is that you should say all right well in this decade uh i am going to be a comic writer and that's not to say i won't do anything else but the, the goal and the framework of everything that i do should be you know to re-engineer how do I write for Marvel, which is the example I use, but it could be anything. Uh, so for me, I know, okay, well, uh, in 10 years' time, I'm writing for Marvel, so what are the steps to get there? And, and then you realize when you talk about marketing creative work, it takes an incredibly long time. We put a lot of time into the creation, and we usually put no time into the marketing of, of that creation. And so uh, that's why I say you got to plan your decade, because it takes just as long to successfully market something as it does to create it. And so that's why I say you have to plan your decade. And it sounds like you know, a lot of the stuff is really obvious advice or obvious sounding, but uh, the one thing you find is that common sense isn't so common. And uh, I'll give you just a quick example of that. Uh, last year, I wrote a book on privacy. And so most of the people who read it that were privacy advocates were like, you know, I know all this. I said, that's great. But the average person on the street that picks up this book has no idea what a virtual private network is. You know, they, they don't know what Tor is. You might know what that stuff is, but like the majority of people don't. And so it, it's, it can sometimes be easy to fall into this uh, problem where because something is obvious to us, we assume that it's obvious to everyone else, and that's not often the case. Going back to how you, you said, basically you're kind of thinking about a goal, thinking about where you want to be. I want to be a comic book writer for Marvel. This is, might be a random analogy here, but on this show, a lot of the times when we talk about writing, I ask, you know, what's your process for writing? Do you start with an outline, figure out the end, and then work your way backwards? In a way, sure. you're kind of kind of writing your future, no? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. Uh, there's actually two exercises that I gave in the presentation. Uh, and the one of them that, that's been thrown around for years in management circles and has also been thrown around in writing circles, it's kind of funny, the, the overlap between the two of them is, you know, if someone is introducing you 10 years from now, uh, what will that introductory speech say? And wow. that's an exercise I did for the first time way back in 2001 when I was a freshman at uh, Alfred State College. And that's sort of how I I planned everything, is using that as, okay, 10 years from now, what what is it that I've done uh, that that I know that I know I have to work to within, within those 10 years? I think that that's a great... Uh, I, you know, I know that a lot of people like to cite Stephen King, where he he kind of talks about outlines, but then if you read on writing, he kind of dismisses them also, uh, almost in the same breath, where he says they're important, but at the same time, this, the characters kind of drive the story, and you should follow them and, and not have an outline, and that shit drives me crazy. <laughs> then, uh, I'm a big believer, you absolutely must have an outline. Definitely. 
you know, if you if you color within the lines, you kind of know what lines need to be there in the first place. Uh, and you won't know that unless you have some sort of framework to, to follow. Like if you're just sort of free free floating and drawing, you might come up with something amazing. But uh, if someone says, "Okay, do that again," you're not going to be able to. That's a really good point. Um, I feel like I read or heard somewhere that um, the difference between it was a book on success or something. Difference between people who are successful and the difference between people who aren't isn't about knowing what you need to do. It's about committing for the long run, following right. those steps. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Well, you know what? So I, I started um, I started research about three years ago now on like a self help book, which became a self help comic called The National Story of Minor Significance, uh, which is out now for a dollar on Comicsology for people that want it. And I, yeah, I found over and over again that you know, all the self help books and all the management books and all the the writing advice books kind of were just saying the same thing, which traces back to the Bible and before that traces back to uh, ancient Greece. So, yeah, we've been saying the same thing over and over in just different packaging for a very long time. And, and that's exactly right. You know, that, that comes from the ancient Greeks of, well, if, if you want something, you, you just do it. Like, you have to put in the work. Uh, and, you know, you can't just say, I want this. You have to know how to get there and have a plan and work towards it. Definitely. What if my goal, and I'm just going to throw this on you right now, was to be the greatest podcast host or make this show the biggest show, what would be the first step for me to, to start? Obviously, I choose that's what I want to be known for in 10 years. Well, so How do I start the, acting on it? The nice thing about your podcast specifically is you have a, a specific creative hook. Uh, and that's generally the first problem most podcasts have, where it could be like, Hey, we're a pro wrestling podcast, and we also talk about comic books. Right. And, we'll, and when we have time, we also talk about antiquing and history. You know, like, uh, and that's the majority of podcasts where they're all over the place in terms of what they cover. So you already have like that one advantage going through. But the key really is to know your audience as deeply and intimately as you can. And I think a lot of us don't don't put the work and research into that. You know, I call it the toilet paper test. Uh, and it, I'm being facetious when I say this, but you should you know you should know your audience so well that you know uh, what kind of toilet paper they prefer. Like if they're cotton bell people, uh, and, and so like that's where everyone messes up. And I think that once you do that digging, everything becomes easier in terms of the, the language that you use on your podcast. Everything becomes easier in terms of uh, these are the channels that I'm going to use to market to these people. And so that's, that's sort of the trick, is to know your audience backward and forward and then just keep digging uh, within that, keep talking to them, adjusting based on the feedback that they give to you, cultivating that audience over a number of years, you know, making sure you get their email addresses. Like I said, this all sounds like common sense, but people don't do it. Right. And uh, you know, the thing with podcasts in particular, at least in the research I've done with comics podcasts, is that uh, people think that if you're someday you're either going to make it or you're not like there's going to be like that make it or break it moment right where you're just going to kind of break out and be this overnight success and, and the reality is it, it doesn't work that way at all uh the, the people that are successful are the people that just kept showing up over 10 years you know like they they kept churning out episodes even though like two people were listening instead of the majority of podcasts which give up after three to six months you know it's usually the range where they just stop doing it and so if you keep at it and you do the things that I'm talking about and you really cultivate that audience, uh, you know, you will be successful. Like most podcasts that you can point to, uh, even specifically if we look at iTunes on their chart, are either NPR podcasts or Joe Rogan. 
Yeah. yeah. And they belong to people who have been around for a really long time. You know, Adam Carolla, uh, I interviewed him in 2011. And even back then, that podcast was still going for a good two or three years. So, I mean, that just gives you an idea of how long he's been doing that, how long Joe Rogan's been doing it. Right. Uh, and that's part of the reason why I do so many podcasts is because I know it's not, I'm not going to have one big make or break moment. You know, like I've been quoted in the New York Times. Uh, it's possible within the next month or so they might give me a quick mention. It's possible that uh, a national story of minor significance might get mentioned. And that's great. But I also know that that's not enough. I know that. You know, I have to keep showing up and doing every interview that I can and being on every podcast that I can. And uh, if I do that over a long period of time, that's what will make this all successful. There's also a statistical part of it, right? The more you do it, the longer you do it, the chances are something's yeah. got to give, right? Uh, crap. I can't remember. There is an economic principle in his book, Perennial Seller, uh, where I can't for the life of me remember it off the top of my head. But yeah, it basically says that the thing that exists tomorrow is more likely to exist 10 years from now than the thing that only ex exists today wow so so by constantly showing up you know you you increase the probability of of your longevity but once we figure out who the audience is and we start to kind of adapt what are some of the next steps where would you go from there so i'm a big believer in uh because of uh, and i don't i mean we can get into like I, i'm a strong believer of universal basic income and, and all that um and the reason why I mention that is because you, we all have limited budgets. And so I tell people, don't spend money on advertising. Don't hire people who do the publicity. You got to do it all yourself. I mean, I spend entire days, if not months, just going down a spreadsheet, reaching out to different media outlets and pitching them. And most of those people I never hear back from. When you send out pitch emails, maybe 10% of those uh, emails that you send out, you'll get replies to. So that that's not a great percentage. Uh, but that that's a big part of it is understanding that you have to sell yourself and getting over. Uh, a lot of creatives have stigma around selling themselves. You know, they'll tell you, "I don't want to feel." Uh, what's it? there was a wrestling podcast I did, and the guy was like, "You know, I don't, I don't want to pump myself over to use wrestling terminology. You know, I don't want to pimp myself." Basically, and I said, "You have to." You know, whatever phrasing. Uh, would work for that. You, know, you have to be the one to put yourself out there and do the reach out. And then, because what will happen is this, after a certain point, your audience will start to do it for you. Um, but all of us won't get there without first putting in a good solid number of years where you're doing what I'm doing, where you're on every podcast, where you're constantly pitching the Washington Post with something, if you have something that, that you think is worthy of a trend or figuring out what your messaging is and working on that. You know, like, uh, Simon Snack, and I don't recommend people read the book. Um, if you Google Simon Snack TED Talk, you'll find uh, Start With Why. And he basically says everything you need to know in that presentation. But he, one of the things he talks about is people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And you don't really know, you won't really have that why defined until you're out there talking to your audience and you're putting in Saturday nights, Sunday nights, and giving up your time with your family uh, to promote something and th that you really understand what that why is. And once you've kind of honed that message, uh, your audience will start to pick up on that and then do the marketing for you. So again, it, it, that sounds really easy. That sounds like common advice, but uh, it's not. Like we don't really think about marketing in, in that way. And so, and, and that's part of the thing. You don't get there until you actually put like a year or two into it that you're able to hone your messaging and see what works because 
as uh, I think it was Hemingway, and it might not be, but he said the first draft of anything is shit. I think that's often attributed to him. It might not, I might not have that right, but uh, it's true that the first year of anything that you do is going to be garbage. You know, I've been writing comic books since 2002. I have them all sitting on an external hard drive. Uh, I don't post them because I know that they're shit. You know, it wasn't until 2015 that I said, okay, I, I'm going to put out an independent comic book because I now feel like I'm ready to, you know, I understand why I do what I do. I understand what works and what doesn't. I understand what, what my voice is. And that allows me to, to tap into an audience and have them understand who I am. And that gets them excited to do the marketing for me. Yeah, I think there's a sense of urgency, right? But like you said, it takes time. You got to, you know, maybe get a better mic, you got to record more episodes, you got to, you know, get better at asking questions, and you got to do it for a long time and build an audience. So to your credit, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, I'm going through yeah. that right now, just to give you an example. Like I, so I mentioned ProSyn a few times. It's a hobby. I think it's important for creators to have hobbies and not uh, work yourself to death. Uh, I'm a big believer in the 15 hour work week. And I don't think, you know, and this has been proven true by cognitive psychologists, that you really only have four hours of productivity. Wow. Uh, you know, on any given day, you've got four hours. And after those four hours, I mean, maybe you could squeeze out something, but it might not be as good as it would have been if you had done it in the four hours. So I, I think that having a hobby is incredibly powerful and effective because it takes your mind off of what you're working on and lets you subconsciously process the things you need to. So uh, that's a long way of saying that I've started a small podcast featuring pro wrestlers that no one's heard of are pro wrestlers that that maybe like i've heard of because you know, i follow it on the internet right uh, and i have you know i'm doing it through skype i've got a, a cheap microphone that i'm using but i know that i'm doing this for the long haul i know that the first year is going to be really hard and I, i'm not very good yet at interviewing people but i have it all mapped out where i know okay if I successfully complete 55 episodes, I would have done this for a year. Uh, now it's time to get a new mic. And now it's time to go from Skype to Zoom. And then year two is to reach out to the bigger guests. And year three is to introduce video. So uh, it, I think it's really important to, to, to put in that time because then you, you have, once you do start putting in the limited funds that you have, you're, you're making the best use of it that you can, as opposed to just being like, I want to be famous, therefore I'm going to go and buy the most expensive mic and then give up on this thing, on this thing after three months. Right, and I think a lot of those things are going to work together exponentially too, right? The quality of the mic is better in a year, so uh, more people listen longer. Uh, you're you know, better as a host so that uh, you know, people, again, are going to listen longer. You've got a bigger presence because you've been doing it longer, so more people know about it. All those things are working together to kind of like exponentially, like I said, just snowball more and more and more. Yeah, and you know what's crazy to me is that I think also sometimes creators will, you kind of have to have a chip on your shoulder to be a creator. I think it's a good thing. Uh, you have to have a lot of self-confidence to, to put your work out there. Uh, I did not have that for a very long time. It's only a recent development for me. But sometimes to our detriment, we, we can be a little judgy as opposed in terms of the opportunities that we do take and don't take. And I think it's important for creators to understand that you it doesn't matter how small something is like you never know who's listening, who's reading uh, when you do a podcast or you do an interview. And I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, when the privacy book had come out, I, you know, I'll talk to anybody. I don't care if there's like nobody that listens to a podcast. <laughs> I, I'm happy to do it just because I, again, I think I'm contributing something. I think I'm, you know, I think it's beneficial because if you have me on the show, then you can go to other authors who might not have gotten who know who I am. 
uh, who will go, oh, well, yeah, BJ did it. Well, of course, I'll do your show. So that, I mean, that's always one reason why I do these things. But another is that you know, by doing these shows, you never know who's listening. And so I did this true. small. Yeah, you know, and I'll give you like so the examples. I did this tiny, tiny, tiny Vermont radio station interviewed me about the privacy book. And it just so happened that this big security blogger happened to live in Vermont, happened to live in the broadcast radius of the radio station, did a blog post about the book. And then Boing Boing uh, just so happened to be following this guy, this security blog, and they uh, did a whole post about the privacy book. So from that tiny little Vermont radio station, uh, I got a lot of coverage and a lot of pickup among my privacy book. So I, you know, it's important for us to take every, every opportunity that you can get uh, and not dismiss people if you see, oh, you know, I got like three people following you. Um, on another note, I just want to note that this is one of my favorite episodes, and, I, and I'll tell you why. A okay. lot of our uh, episodes are about writing specifically. Um, it's like, how do you write a comic? How do you write, you know, uh, a novel? But this, this is something different. It's just as inspirational, but it's taking uh, writing and creativity from a more global perspective. Because you can learn how to write a book but you're not necessarily going to know how to do the follow through the long term kind of plan so really appreciate these insights and now for a commercial break i'm cb drogi host of manawaker studios flash fiction podcast our weekly podcast brings you short short stories from authors around the world with a wide mix of stories both literary and genre tragic and comedic Deeply thought and lighthearted, there are stories for everyone, and each episode is less than 10 minutes. Find Manawaker Studios Flash Fiction Podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And we're back. And there's a name for this uh, presentation, right? It's Creators Let Me Tell You Something You Already Know? Yeah, uh, so it's, it's Let Me Tell You Something You Already Know. Uh, the Creators was just for the Okay, mod. got it, got it. Uh, just so, uh, because, it's, like I said, it's, it's built on things that you've... Well, nothing in here is new. Like it is not, uh, it, it's different in terms of the packaging and how I've conceptualized it, but there's nothing in this presentation that, that you haven't heard before. It's just the way that it's been put together. So that's why it's called, uh, let me tell you something you already know. And like I said, the full, full text of presentations on bjmendelson.com and the video should be up in about a month. Um, what is the response from people after they see it? Do they, do they have questions about it? Are they like, thank you so much. I didn't even think to think yeah, of it like that. That's been the difference uh, between the two, because I've, I've been presenting on and off since 2012, let's say. Uh, and like I said, there was social media's bullshit. The response was always, okay, that's great, but what do I do? Uh, the response for this has been, okay, I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. This kid uh, <laughs> for the Supercon was like, uh, I'm so inspired by this. I'm deciding whether or not I should go to college. What do you think I should do? Like, so that's the kind of questions that I'm now wow. getting uh, after these presentations is that people, they leave the room feeling very happy and excited, uh, which is great. But then they ask me for like my card, and I, I, I like, they're like, "Hey, did you consult?" Like I said, "No." <laughs> like if you're listening, if you listen to the presentation, I, I told you everything you need to know. You just, just gotta do it. <laughs> like you just have to. As soon as you're done listening to what I have to say, and if you need a refresher, it's all on the website. Uh, just put in the work, and so that's that's been the response so far. I'm excited to see as this goes out to other comic conventions, um, you know, it, it, what will happen and. Um, as especially as I update and expand it a bit. Based on this presentation, where are you taking it now? And then, uh, so I don't forget, where does this fit into your plan? You know, you said that you wanted to write for Marvel. Where does it all fit in? 
So it fits in, in a couple of respects. First, if uh, you know, if I do, if I'm lucky enough to be accepted, I have a good, I have a good idea that it'll probably be accepted. But you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed as I say this uh, for Emerald City, City Comic Con. So I, on that end, you know, it's just me giving back, as I said. Uh, but on the other end, you know, the presentation talks a lot about networking, and the only way to really do that in the comic industry is to go to comic conventions. And you know, I, I have, so I have a bunch of health issues. And the reason why I tell you that. Is because it, it could be hard for me just to network normally. So to be in an environment where I can do as much networking as and like I, when I say networking, I don't mean like the shady. Oh, hey, here's my card. Uh, you know, what I mean like the actual networking of getting to know people and seeing what you can do to help them and finding cool people that you know that you can introduce them to so right. they can make great art together. Like that's when I say networking, I mean like the legit kind of networking it's easy for me if it's all in one day or and if, if everyone's kind of in one place um just so i'm not dealing with the issues that i usually have to deal with so for me going to different conventions and giving this presentation is a twofer you know on one hand I'm, I'm able to contribute something to people who might not yet uh have a product that they're ready to put out and then um, at the same time I'm also able to meet people who i might be able to introduce me to the right people to write for marvel so it's kind of a win-win. And I think as a creator, that you sort of need to think that way. But a lot of us don't. Uh, and I'll give you a good example. The reason why I do it that way is I always wanted to write for The Onion. And so in New York, before they moved, if you wanted to write for The Onion, you had to go to this bar uh, and you had to hang out. And after you, it's kind of like getting into the mob. I don't know if you've ever seen Donnie Brasco. Right. Uh, where he's just hanging out at the bar. And, you know, it takes like a few weeks before he works up the nerve to, to talk to the guy about the diamonds and blah, 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 blah. But the onion was kind of the same way where, you know, they had like this official submission process, but it was kind of BS. The, you know, the real process to get into the onion was to hang out at this bar and get to know everybody. Wow. And so, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Well, it's different That's now crazy. in Chicago. Uh, well, they moved and then they sold. And so it's a little, it's a little different these days. But I'm, I'm talking about the onion when it was still like the onion and not. Uh, these days, it's kind of a shell of itself. Uh, that, that's not to say it's not funny, but you know, it's it's not. It's different. Yeah, yeah, it's not what it was. So realizing that, I did some research into the comic industry, and I found that it was also kind of the same deal. Where, you know, if you wanted someone to take notice of you, because uh, I was talking to Jordan White, who was an editor at Marvel, uh, through Twitter the other day, and I said, "How does someone pitch you? Like, how does a comic creator pitch you?" And his answer was, "Write something that we like," which is not a terribly helpful answer. Uh, because the question becomes, well, how do I even get this in front of you? Like, how do I know right. that you're going to like it? And the answer is, well, you got to go to the comic conventions and, and do the networking that I mentioned. And so that's sort of the plan. Like, that's how all these things fit together, um, contributing to the community, but at the same, same time. And how do you find that balance in person networking to both keep it organic and, uh, you know, keep it a meaningful connection and somehow getting to that place where you know, without it being salesy, you can be like, hey, listen, I got this idea, you know, like, what's the best way to do it? So the best way to do it is is to not pitch them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I know that sounds counterintuitive. Um, but if you read any book on public relations, they will back me up on this. Like, the trick to being a good PR person isn't to be a salesman. The trick to being a good PR person is to have this wide network of people that you know, where when you have something really special, will listen to you. And they'll take the time to actually hear what the pitch is. Uh, something that drives me crazy on Twitter is that someone will follow you and then immediately pitch you. That's not the way to do it. Like that's that's not how it's supposed to work. And it's true with networking as well, where 
you're talking about making a legitimate relationship with these people. Because if you have the actual relationship, then there might come a time where they ask you for a favor. And because of the way humans are hardwired, uh, we're hardwired around reciprocity, uh, where we don't like to owe someone something. So if they ask you for a favor, then they'll right. they'll basically not owe you, but uh, they'll be more receptive to you pitching something. So I, you know, when we talk about networking, again, it's got that salesy, schmaltzy kind of negative connotation to it but it really is just making friends like it really is just going out of your way and uh like bill oakley is my favorite example bill oakley is one of my favorite writers uh he was one of the showrunners on the simpsons uh i just was happened to be in portland i was like hey uh, could we get lunch with absolutely no expectation like i you know i've always wanted to write for the simpsons but i i never once pitched it to him we just we just had lunch so we just bullshitted about uh, his time on Portlandia, like that was the entirety of our conversation. Wow. Uh, and that was it. And then over the years, you know, I've, I've reached out to him and he's reached out to me for stuff. And, uh, he's always been receptive. He's, he's always been, uh, I joke and say that he's like my unofficial mentor. He's not, but <laughs> I like to tease him. I'd say that he is. And so you know, that's, that relationship came about purely just by being interested in and being a fan of his work and legitimately wanting to get to know him. Definitely. That is such a great point. Do you want to plug uh, the, the actual, like where it is on your website so they can find yeah, it? It's on uh, bjmendelson.com. Uh, it's on the front page. There's not any other blog posts after it, except for a film script or something that we were going to shoot. Uh, so that that's nice front and center on the front page of bjmendelson.com. And then are you ready for what we like to call a series of seemingly random questions? <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, they're actually pretty quick this time. The first one, I don't want to open up a can of worms here because I know you've written a book about this, but my first question is, why is social media bullshit? Uh, it doesn't do what we think it does. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, the, the, that's the really short What, if, what do people think it does? Uh, so it's, it's evolved over time, right? When I first, you got to keep in mind, the book was written in 2012. So right. when I wrote it, there was this belief of if you had Twitter, you had the voice equal to CNN, which is an actual quote. Uh, from Ashton Kutcher of all people. Wow. And so people, there's a lot of people that still believe that, where they think that uh, if you post something on a social media platform, everyone's going to see it, not realizing that uh, the average Facebook post maybe lives for two minutes you know, before it gets buried. Or if you put a, if you put a tweet out that has an outbound link, uh, people don't realize that Twitter's system kind of punishes that, where uh, Twitter's only interest is keeping people on Twitter. Like, they don't want you leaving Twitter. And so if you post a link, you know, not as many people are going to see that as if you had just wrote it in a uh, text post. And so uh, social media is bullshit. It's not saying don't use the platforms. It's just saying the way we think about it is kind of backwards. And uh, there's, there's a different approach to these just online marketing in general that we don't think about. And that's why I try to get into in the book. And speaking of the book, we had obviously talked about Igor presentation for creators were you implementing those very things i imagine as you wrote that book and promoted that book and got to the point that it is because that's maybe one of your most acclaimed works that people know you for right yeah it's definitely a cold classic um <laughs> it's uh what's funny though is that so okay you gotta keep in mind a couple of things one uh, i had massive heart surgery in 2013 and i mentioned that because my personality is completely different before and after the surgery um, so I still have OCD, but it was really bad before the surgery. And at the same time, uh, I had just gotten divorced. 
So when social media's bullshit came out, I was in a pretty bad place. Like, I, so I was just kind of winging it to a certain extent in terms of the promotion. I was lucky in that I knew enough about word of mouth where the title kind of sold the book. Yeah, for sure. I, and I didn't need to do much else. Whereas today, you know, I'm much more. Uh, I followed. You know, I kind of knew what the outline was back then, but these days I have it down to a very to a very specific formula like i know how to follow it so my, my process today in marketing is way different uh than it was for social media is bullshit moving on to the next seemingly random question if you could have dinner with any writer now this could be any creator in this case living or dead who would you choose and why okay uh so i always give the answer i always give to this is if i would have dinner with any three people who would it be or you know living or dead uh, George Carlin, Abraham Lincoln, and Stephen Colbert. Wow. Uh, I think all three of them would love a good fart joke. Lincoln especially is notorious for his love of fart jokes. That's something people don't realize Whoa, about him. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, you know, it's part of the thing where we, we turn people into saints. We kind of smooth out their character a bit. But yeah, he was really big into fart jokes. So that, those three, any of those three I would love to, to have dinner with. There it is. Next question. Has anyone ever told you, now this is almost like counterpoint to your whole presentation, but has anyone ever told you that you can't do what you want to do or you can't be who you are? Oh, all the time. Uh, the reason why I got off on this path in the first place, I said to my, so my dad taught in the Bronx for 40 some odd years as a, as a history teacher. And there was a conversation in high school where I said to him, dad, I want to be, I want to be a history teacher. And he turned to me and said, Oh, another failure. <laughs> uh, I mean, he was joking, but I didn't realize he was joking. You know, I took it. I took it to heart. But I realized that I could still be a teacher. I just went about it in a different way. You know, I just, you know, I'm not a school teacher, but I'm definitely still an educator. Oh, definitely. When it, when it comes to marketing and creativity and writing, and so, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I've had the health issues all my life. I've had uh, the OCD all my life. So it's very easy for people to say, maybe you should try something within your yeah, within your reach. Um, but yeah, you, know, you just you just go and you do it. I'm not I'm not saying the thing I say in the presentation is uh, I'm not if you if you think that you're a creative, you are a creative. Uh, that doesn't mean you're going to be the next LeBron James because you know that that's genetics and hours and hours and hours of dedication and hard work. But you could still take a shot at anything that you want and still come pretty close to hitting that target. Definitely. Next question: What is something? about your career that nobody knows uh that nobody knows <laughs> crap this is uh, a stumper watch out yeah no this is a hard one because i i generally you know i mentioned the mall santa thing um okay yeah here's something that nobody knows uh i read uh the, the cold equations in my sophomore year of high school i think it was tom godwin yeah tom godwin wrote it and that has more or less informed a lot of my work uh, because I was always annoyed by the ending of it. I'm going to give away a spoiler, even though <laughs> it's, a short, you know, it's a short story that was written in like 1954. But spoiler alert anyway, the girl dies at the end. Uh, for those that haven't read it, basically this girl stows away on a spaceship and they only have so much fuel. And basically they, they know they have to jettison the girl and the guy's because uh, they have no choice. Because the, the rule, the data says, you know, with the girl on board this spaceship will complete its mission and these people will die if we don't complete that mission. Therefore, the girl must die. Uh, and that always deformed my work when it came into social media's bullshit and the privacy book and the way that we're obsessed with metrics. So since the 1910s and 1920s, 
with the you know the industrial revolution and Taylorism and the factory model kind of consuming uh, the United States and everything within it, you know we we became obsessed with measuring everything, and then we we became obsessed with these formulas telling us what to do and not really thinking critically about those formulas. And so a lot of my work comes down to, you know, social media can be great, but if you're obsessed with follower metrics, you're going to have a bad time. And privacy, there can be a fair trade-off where you're giving up your, your privacy in exchange for something for free, but at the same time, look at the billions of dollars that gets wasted. I think it's like $62 billion each year that gets wasted on advertising fraud digital marketing and nobody stops to think about it because they're obsessed with the metrics and so uh, that's something people don't know about my writing and my career is a lot of it's informed by that short story wow well thanks for sharing um well with that being said i know we already kind of plugged uh let me tell you something you already know is there another project on the horizon as well that you want to plug or do you want to at least shout out your twitter handle yeah, well, okay, so there's a condition uh, with my Twitter handle. Uh, anyone can follow me at BJ Mendelson, but just be warned, I generally only talk about the Mets, professional wrestling, and comic books. Uh, and that's a that could be a tough cocktail. <laughs> so only follow me if you're into those things. Don't follow me. Uh, I won't be offended. If you want a free PDF copy of Social Media is Bullshit, it's on my website, on the contact page. Uh, I typically will give my stuff away for free, like, so if you want any of the stuff that we talked about, you know, a national story of minor significance or uh, the privacy book or the social media bullshit, I am happy to give it away. All you got to do is just contact me. Uh, and if you like my stuff, then you can always buy like the audio edition of the privacy book because I make a lot of money when people buy the, the book on Audible. Uh, so that's typically what I tell people. Cool. Um, well, I think that's it for our time today. Super insightful. And uh, I'm, I'm leaving inspired. I'm sure our listeners are too. So thank you, BJ. Really appreciate your time. Oh, it was great. I, I really hope it, it helped. We'll have to have you back on uh, again because I feel like there's just a lot more to talk about. Sure. All right. Thanks again. And thank you to our listeners. Can't wait to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.